Welcome to the Breckenridge Podcast. I'm John Bastoni. Today I'm joined by Kurum Galani, who's on our portfolio management team. And this month we're going to give you a quick recap of the investment grade markets for the month of February. Kurum, we'll start with you with corporates. It seems like we have a few themes we're going to touch on this month. So just really quick, how did um, corporates do for the month of February? It seems like so far year to date, we've had really a continuation of just really strong performance in that space. Yes, that's right, John. So what we saw this month was more or less a continuation of what we saw in January, although at a, at a slower um, pace, I would say. The Bloomberg Barclays Corporate Index closed five basis points tighter this month. It was 25 basis points tighter in January, so not as strong, but still solid performance. This month, the market was supported by strong technicals, progress in U.S.-China trade negotiations, and um, the backdrop of a more dovish Fed. Total return gains were broad-based across most sectors. The index posted positive 22 basis points of total return and positive 59 basis points of excess returns, bringing year-to-date excess returns to 243 basis points. From a total return perspective, cumulative total returns in January and February are over 2.5%, which basically offsets the negative 2.5% of total returns that we saw in all of 2018. Given the risk on uh, sentiment in the market, triple Bs did outperform single A's this month and long corporates outperformed short and intermediate corporates from an excess return perspective. Touching on supply really quick, looks like gross supply for the month was $115 billion. How does that compare to what we, some of the earlier street estimates heading into this year? Yeah, the street in the beginning of the month was calling for between 80 and 90 billion of debt issuance uh, for the month of February. So the 115 billion number is is pretty impressive and it almost exactly equals what we had um, in February in 2018. New issue concessions, you know, on average were were negative during the month and, and order books for most deals were three to four times oversubscribed. March is typically a big month for issuance, so initial estimates for March are calling from, for anywhere between 100 to $120 billion of, of debt issuance. The spread performance in the month, I think, really is impressive when you consider the additional $25 billion or so in supply we're projected to get. So specifically, who is bringing some of these deals to the market? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Uh, several other deals were actually related to M&A. One of the biggest deals of the month was uh, Altria. They issued $11.5 billion of debt across several tranches to fund their acquisition of the e-cigarette maker Juul. Uh, according to data from Bloomberg, it was five times oversubscribed and, and spreads tightened uh, in the secondary market. Also, Eli Lilly, a large pharmaceutical company and Boston Scientific, issued a combined $9 billion of debt to fund recent acquisitions. And also AT&T issued $5 billion to redeem and repay certain existing debt. The market is still expecting some sizable debt related to M&A this year. Uh, we have Bristol-Myers, which recently acquired Celgene. Admittedly, they're, you know, they're, that's facing some trouble uh, from, uh, given the opposition from stakeholders. But if approved, Bristol-Myers could issue 30 or $35 billion sometime this year. We also have um, IBM, which recently acquired Red Hat. Um, they could issue 15 to 20 billion of debt sometime this year. Uh, T-Mobile and Sprint uh, merger. You know, we're looking at another 25 to 30 billion just from that. And also recently, Danaher acquired GE's healthcare assets for 20 billion. That's going to be debt funded also. So it seems like we've also seen several companies tendering bonds recently, names such as Medtronic, Verizon, and Anheuser-Busch. Can you elaborate on what exactly it means to tender a bond issue? 
So that's right. Some companies have issued uh, tender offers to bond uh, holders recently. Uh, you mentioned a few already. So in IG corporates, there's really only two ways to, to retire existing debt a company has already issued. One is to do what's called a make-hold call. Another is to retire debt through a tender offering, which is basically a company is offering bondholders um, the option of buying back a certain bonds at a predetermined price. Thank you for that. Can can you give us our listeners just a, a more concrete example with some numbers, perhaps? Yeah, sure. So recently, Medtronic, uh, a large medical device company, recently announced a tender offer for several of their bonds. Uh, so one of them was a six and a half percent bond maturing in March of, of 2039. These bonds were issued with a make call spread of plus 45. That translates to a dollar price of about $143. Currently, the bonds are trading at a dollar price of $130. So based on that example, you can already tell that um, doing a make-hole call would be very expensive for Medtronic. So what they did instead was they went to bondholders and said, would you like to do a tender offer at a price of $133 per 1,000 bonds? And that's the option that's currently out there for bondholders. As a portfolio manager or trader, when you're evaluating tender offers, there are several issues to consider when you're trying to accept or reject a a company's tender offer. Some of those um, issues include liquidity. You want to think about what liquidity will be like for bonds uh, that are not tendered. You obviously want to look at the tender offer spread versus where they're currently trading in the market. Uh, You also want to look at the tender offer spread versus where the make-hole spread uh, is also for the bonds, among other factors. That's great. Thank you for that. Okay, great. So turning to the securitized market, uh, so Spread Product had a pretty strong month again in February. We discussed back in January, which is also a strong month. Can you talk a little bit about performance in the securitized market? Yeah, I'd say the risk-on theme has really been persistent across spread product asset classes. Um, Securitized products were certainly part of that in the month of February. Um, We had a very strong start to the year in terms of returns. But as we discussed last month, January was one of the better months we've seen in quite some time. And while February wasn't quite as strong, we did see modestly positive excess returns. So far, year to date, we are at plus 39 and plus 38 basis points, respectively, for ABS and MBS. Okay, that's great. Thanks for that. So perhaps, you know, one of the biggest news stories we've talked about, and we've talked about it on this podcast recently, is a uniform MBS, where Fannie and Freddie will start to commingle MBS issuance into a single security starting in June of this year. Um, there's been, you know, further developments uh, announced by regulators this month. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, so Fannie and Freddie's regulator, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, recently announced some new rules that will help align prepayment speeds between the two issuing entities. Historically, the market has had the ability to trade the Fannie-Freddie swap to police prepayment speed differences. However, with the single security under UMBS, that won't be an option going forward. Can you give our listeners a little bit more detail on on prepayment speed and and why that's so important for MBS and some of the changes that have been proposed for that? Yeah, a lot of attention recently has has been focused on the increasing weighted average coupons or the WACs of MBS pools, and there's a few reasons why the WACs have been increasing, but in a nutshell, a higher WAC will mean higher prepayment speeds, all else equal. Consider, for example, a 4% MBS pass-through security, where the underlying mortgages have a WAC of about 4.5%, and that's pretty close to the current mortgage rate offered in the market, versus another similar 4% pass-through MBS with a WAC of 5%, the latter borrowers are going to have significantly more economic incentive to refinance their mortgages. 
The announcement last week from the Federal Housing Finance Agency capped the weighted average coupon spreads over the mortgage-backed security coupon rate on the bond across the two entities at 112 basis points from 250 basis points where it was previously, and that should help enforce prepayment speed parity between the two mortgage-backed security issuers. There are a couple of other announcements as part of this release that relate to steps that will be taken if the prepayment speeds do differ by a, a predetermined amount. But in general, this is a very positive development as it relates to the successful launch of UMBS. At the time of this recording of this podcast, the Securities Industry Group was set to vote on the final part of the program, which would be the TBA delivery guidelines. And while we don't expect any surprises on this, the June launch is expected to go on as scheduled so far for these securities. So John, can you summarize what you just detailed to our listeners? Yeah, in summary, this is, you know, we really don't expect this to affect spreads or returns. This is really just an operational thing that's going on in the background. Ultimately, the goal of the UMBS program is to create better prepayment divergence between the two issuers, to promote liquidity in the already very liquid agency mortgage-backed security market, and to ultimately have better mortgage rates for U.S. borrowers. And we don't expect this will have a major impact on spreads and total returns, right? No, it, it's really a prepayment story. And, and really, just to, to tie it all back, we, we got the long-awaited prepayment report um, on the afternoon of March 6th, which is the first prepayment report that fully reflects the impact of the increasing wax that we've been, we've been talking about, but also dr- it captures the full effect of the drop in, in interest rates the market has seen since the end of 2008. Just to summarize this prepayment report, it came in largely as expected with prepayment speeds up around 10% month over month. And we expect significantly more attention to be placed on managing prepayment speeds going forward because we're coming out of a very benign prepayment environment over the past couple of years. Great. Thank you, John. And thanks to our listeners for tuning into the Breckenridge podcast.